Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Build your network. Episode 52. Hey, this is Sean D'Souza from Psychotactics.com. And if you want to learn to have the network that I have, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my good friend, Travis Chappell. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you're listening to this, then there's a good chance that you're serious about building your network. If that's you, and only if you're serious, you should definitely check out my Facebook group, Build Your Network Beta. If you want more personal engagement, proven connection strategies and tactics, and some awesome giveaways like shopping sprees, Beats headphones, etc., etc., then head on over to byn.media forward slash FB to join the group, or you can search Facebook groups for Build Your Network Beta and join there. And once you do, please be sure to introduce yourself and say what's up, and I will catch you there. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest. 
Sean D'Souza. Sean is an internet marketing veteran with years of experience under his belt. I'm super excited to get into this conversation with him. He's the creator of a company called Psychotactics, which teaches people why customers buy and why they don't. It's a little bit more of an unconventional show because typically when I sit down with a guest, I ask them some questions before we start recording, before the interview. And for whatever reason, this time I hit record and I told Sean that we're just going to talk for a little bit and then I'd bring in the intro and bring him into the show and get everything going. But when we started talking at the beginning, it just kind of blossomed into this conversation that luckily I was recording the whole time. So about 10, 15 minutes into that intro, I just figured why not go ahead and uh, put it up. So without any further ado, enjoy the conversation I had with internet marketing legend, Sean D'Souza. Tell me a little bit about like how you got into the online space and where you came from and then how you started in this industry. Around 1998 or maybe a little before that, I don't remember the exact date, but we were still living in India. That's my wife and I, and I had a company which was drawing cartoons. And at that point, the internet kind of came to India. It was very expensive. You had only a fixed number of hours that you could use. It wasn't even just hours. It was also the amount of megabytes. Hmm. And very few people had access to what was then called TCP IP or something like that. So you had just dial-up. And dial-up was like a black screen with <laughs> with text on it, right? And then TCP IP or something allowed you to see pictures on the internet, which now seems pretty weird that you couldn't <laughs> see pictures on the right. internet. Right. But I've always been fan of Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. So I read that book by Javi Mackay way, way back. And that was the title of his book. And that's been kind of my philosophy among other philosophies, which is I buy stuff and I get involved in stuff long before I know what I'm going to do with it. A lot of people consider that to be not important because it's not making money for them or it's not critical for them right now. But I'm just curious. And so I got onto the internet long before websites were popular or anything of that nature. Yeah. And when we moved to New Zealand, you know, by that time, dial-up was still pretty much the rage. So I had a website, which ironically was called Million Bucks. Okay. Ironical for me now, because that's the exact opposite of what I talk about when I speak at events and stuff. <laughs> but it shows you the mindset. It shows you the mindset of the beginner, which is that they're really looking for stability. And I guess to me, Million Bucks represented stability at that point in time. Hmm. And I happened to run across a site where this guy was selling books, ebooks, and I'd never heard of ebooks before. The good thing was that technically it was the book that, say, someone like Brian Tracy, who's a speaker on sales and stuff, you could get that book in the store. But this book also came with other bonuses and it came with audio downloads. And it, it cost a lot more than the average book. Okay. So it costs $29 when you could go into Borders or any bookstore and get a book for $16. However, in New Zealand, that was a good deal because in New Zealand, a book that you can get on in Borders or could get in Borders for $16 was $40 here. So what I was getting for the same amount of money after you did the conversion and stuff was the book and an audiobook and some bonuses and I was quite hungry to absorb all that information, and this was a really good deal. So 
that was the first time I saw an ebook, and I think that's when I started thinking, okay, this is something that's interesting. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So at the time you were making all of your money offline, obviously, when was like the big transition for you when you were like, hey, this thing is real and I can make real money on this internet thing? I don't think we ever looked at it as what a lot of people do right now, which is a kind of money-making machine. We never thought of it as something that was going to be instant or anything of that nature. Most websites back then were portfolio websites. So you used it to get clients. Hmm. Even, we're talking about 2000, but even as far as 2005, when blogging was more popular or started to be the rage, most blogs didn't earn any money. They just had subscribers. They just had views. They just had comments. They didn't have any way to make money. And we had already been earning money for pretty much three years by then through selling products and stuff. But blogs didn't have that. And this was one of the reasons why back then I misguidedly told people that it's pointless to have a blog. You should just have a website because a blog is like a newspaper. It's there today and gone tomorrow. Of course, (laughs) I didn't have the insight to see that the real gold is in the subscribers. Yeah, the subscribers. No, it was in the subscribers. It was whether you have a blog or you have a podcast or you have a YouTube channel or you have any channel, eventually your goal is the client list, Hmm. the people that trust you. And I couldn't see beyond that because we were already doing reasonably well with our website. And I thought, what's the point of having to write something every single day that I woke up and I brushed my teeth because that's the way I saw the blog anyway. Gotcha. Well, gotcha. it wasn't a mistake. I don't think that 
well, when I talk about it, I make it sound like as if it, I had some regrets, but you can't really have regrets for stuff that comes along. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, today there is probably some new software that comes along. And usually what happens is when you get entrenched in your own way of life and things are working for you, first of all, there's not much need to go another way unless your system breaks down. But the second thing is you just have a blind spot. And I read this with Bezos at one point. He was like, you know, people keep talking about the future and they keep saying, well, what does the future hold? And he says, I don't know what the future holds, but what I do know is what already works for us and we keep doing that. And I think that was the philosophy, but I have to admit that at times I was like, oh no, mobile websites, waste of time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have been wrong at least a hundred times in the last 15 years. Yeah, it makes sense though. With the, publicly. The, <laughs> publicly, yeah. <laughs> the industry transforming like that much over that short period of time, you're bound to be wrong about a couple of things. There's just so many innovations that came into that space. But we see that, and I was listening to an interview yesterday, and this guy was talking about the first 50 years of, say, America, because that place, that country is documented more than other countries, at least in this time and age. And he says, you know, in in 1900, people had the horse and buggy, and by 1950, you were on the edge of space travel. Mm. So we consider a lot of stuff now to be, oh, wow, so much has changed. We have a mobile phone and stuff. But if you look at the jump between a phone and a mobile phone, it's not such a big leap. And if you look at the leap between horse and buggy and computers that are sending a rocket or man to the moon, that is a big leap. So people have been consistently wrong through history. I don't think there is a downside to being wrong. I think there is a downside to being stubborn forever. That I'm not. I'm yeah. only stubborn part of the time. Yeah. How long did it take you to get on the blog and podcast train? I never did get on the blog thing. I just created a blog and we just put our articles there because WordPress seemed to be picking up stuff much better than other stuff. The podcast I started before everybody else. Uh, I oh. probably start. Yeah, I started very early with the podcast because I used to listen to podcasts. And then by 2009, I stopped doing podcasts, which is quite interesting because that's where everybody else started. Right, right. I completely ignored YouTube. We're going to start doing some YouTube stuff next year. You know, the point is that eventually it really depends on your goals. And yesterday I was talking to a book agent because I want to write these books on teaching, which is how to acquire talent, how to be a teacher. And then the third thing is how to take someone from, say, a level of fluency to mastery. So these are, you know, three whole books. And I think not being right along the way enables you to have more time to think, to process, to deal with clients, to deal with the stuff. And then your personality, your background, all that plays a role. And over the years, it has come to this moment where these three books are more important to me than, at least now, more important to me than all the work I've done before. It's not that that work hasn't been good. It's just that right. it has led to this moment. So I look at it from an Apple point of view, which is that people consider Apple to be one of the most innovative companies in the world. Mm -hmm. But it really took them 20 years before they had their first hit. I mean, the first hit was in 2001 or something like that, where they had the iPod and then the iPhone. And before that, it was a company that almost went down 
as we say here, down the gurgler. Yeah, so that's I remember so, those, so, old, so, those yeah. old Macintosh computers with the Apple on them and the colors in the Apple and stuff. Yeah, that was correct. Yeah, <laughs> that was. So they made a lot of mistakes along the way, right. and it, it only really started turning for them. 20 years into their business, despite all the funding, despite all the hoopla, despite, despite all everything, right. they were not making money or they were struggling to make money. And it's not all about making money, but what the money does for you is it, it creates this buffer. It's like, you know, I drive an electric car and it's completely different from a petrol car, at least my electric car, because Mine only does like 75 miles. It's a BMW. And I think the Tesla does like 300 miles. So what you figure out is how to manage stuff really well with when you have limitations. And I think that Apple got so strapped and so difficult and so everything that these situations force you to think in a way that you wouldn't if you just go, okay, we have everything. We have lots of money. We don't have to think. I think limitations are amazing. You never think they're amazing when it's happening to you. You know, your whole website is... <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Definitely. Well, how long into the journey that you're on right now did psychotactics come on the scene? I think that a lot of stuff already exists. Like, you know, say you're starting a business, for instance, or say you start up another business two years from now. I think it, that it's almost like a... A germination, it's almost like malaria or something. It's there in your body, and then it explodes one day. I don't think it just came on the scene. I think it was always there. And at some point, what happens, it, it becomes a full-blown kind of thing that you have to do. Hmm. I'm feeling that right now, which is when you look at my career, for instance, I started out in university not necessarily wanting to so I was a very good student right through school and through the first two years of university. But then, so we have like five years of university. There's like a junior two years and then three a BCom degree and stuff. And by the time I finished the first two years, I suddenly got this idea that I wanted to be a copywriter. I didn't want to be a cartoonist anymore. So I was already drawing for newspapers and magazines and stuff like that. I had a couple of comic strips that were running in Indian newspapers and I decided I wanted to be a copywriter. Hmm. And my grades immediately started to fall because I had no interest in, in continuing with accounting and stuff. It's a good thing that I continued right to the end because eventually I got a Bachelor of Commerce degree and that gave us enough points so that we could move to New Zealand. But at that point, it was like, why am I doing this nonsense? I should be a copywriter. Hmm. Then when I got a job as a copywriter, I worked for a couple of agencies, and then one day someone came along and he showed us how to write TV commercials at a workshop, and I wanted to quit copywriting and do TV commercials, which is what I did. From there on, one day I'm sitting at a beach thinking, you know, this is a great life, and I think, oh, I have to go back to cartoons. And when we got to New Zealand, I wanted to spend more time off, take more time, which is what we talk about now, which is a three-month vacation. And so I started reading marketing books because I wanted to take more time off as a cartoonist. I'd, I had no interest in marketing. So it's all been this, what a lot of people will call flip-flop. You know, you're going from one thing to another, to another. Yeah, that's, but, what, that's what I was going to ask you, Sean, is 
Do you think that somebody's ability to say goodbye to something directly correlates with their ability to create success in a field where they may not have all the answers to? I just feel like I see a lot of people do that to where they almost feel trapped because let's take your story, for instance, you went to university for this other field and, and you're a cartoonist. And then like almost when, and like halfway through, you were just like, well, I, this is something I just don't want to do anymore. And then you immediately just switched your focus and did something that you wanted to do, regardless of the fact that you had just spent a few years trying to learn something different. Do you think that that correlates to the levels of success that you've seen? And do you think that some people wait too long to do that? I definitely think so. I think that people are more afraid. Now, admittedly, I was living with my parents. I didn't have that many expenses and stuff like that. But I don't think age makes that much of a difference. I think what we do is we get less brave as we go along. Hmm. So that's one part of it. But the other part of it is also the way you've been brought up. So if you've been brought up with an enormous amount of responsibility, then an enormous amount of responsibility means that you've made a lot of mistakes along the way. So as a kid, if you were told, you know, you were in charge of, say, buying the bread, you were in charge of this, you were in charge of that, you were in charge of your kid brother or kid sister or whatever. Yeah. There are lots of opportunities to fail. So what you're learning in that situation is, okay, I failed in that situation. And you don't, this is not conscious. This is somewhere sitting in the back shelves of your brain. And you have failed so many times that going to another thing and then succeeding is not as hard as someone who has been bubble wrapped their whole life. For them, it is very hard to make this leap. So often a book or a, a speech on you should just go after your passion or you should just do all this stuff, I think it's it could be misplaced. It could be misplaced simply because it's very difficult for someone to suddenly at the age of 25 or 35 or 45 to just leap out into the unknown. In fact, I, I'd been doing a series of interviews earlier this year, and I called it seven miles per second, because that's the speed that you need to break out of Earth's gravity. Hmm. And the purpose of that interview was not to find out the journey of the people. So some of the people were like Linda Weinman from lynda.com, hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So really well-known people, people who have been successful and stuff. And the point is that most interviews don't do that. They just talk about, you know, how did you start a business? How, where did you go? And it starts in this memoir kind of fashion, somewhere in between. But what I wanted to do was go all the way back to their childhood. And almost without exception, you will find that those that were given enormous responsibility in their childhood turned out to be different from those who just got dropped into adulthood. Huh. Hmm. And when you say, can you describe a little bit more in detail what you mean by enormous responsibility in your childhood? In my case, it was kind of different. I had too much of <laughs> too many war stories, as it were. Right. It almost sounds like your grandfather said, I walked through 15 feet of snow, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, ways, yeah. yes, yes. It sounds like that. But that's what I did at the time. I mean, I grew up in India, no snow. But I was, for instance, I'll give you one example, but I had many, many responsibilities around the house. Hmm. It was like, because I was the eldest, I was in charge of a whole bunch of things. Because my parents were like middle, middle class, not upper middle class or lower middle class, they also sent us to a really good school, which was probably, it wasn't probably, so say one school 
near our house was $8 a month. Then this one was $80 a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they sent us to that school. So they started scrimping on other stuff. So I had the equivalent of going to what we call the ration shop. And the ration shop is more like, I don't know if it's food stamps because I don't know about food stamps or whatever, but it's the equivalent of a government-driven organization which gives you rice and wheat and stuff at a reduced price. Okay, okay. So I had to stand in this queue, probably in the sun or the rain, pretty Soviet-style kind of thing, okay. right? And that was my job. And then when we got the rice, it wasn't like the rice was clean. I had to clean the rice and remove the stones from it. Hmm. And, and so I'd just make a game of it. I'd put it on the dining table and make a big plane and then remove all the stones from the plane, <laughs> right? So, and then I had daily tasks, like I had to get bread, you know. So in India, when I was growing up, and even when I left, no one ever, or very few people tend to buy bread from a supermarket, because supermarkets didn't do really well there. And so you went to the bakery, and we had like four bakeries in the area. And what you'd do is you'd go to the bakery, and the bread was always like five minutes old, because they just bake it, and then... Someone comes in and takes the bread, and then you get the next batch. Hmm. And my job was to buy bread in the morning for breakfast and then to buy bread in the evening for dinner. So we always had that kind of fresh bread. And so it wasn't like I could buy bread the previous night and right. say, okay, now you guys eat it for breakfast. Hmm. If there was bread from last night, that would be fine. But by and large, twice a day, I had to buy bread. When I was like 20, I remember going to a party and I called my mother and I said, you know, I'm at this party. And she said, did you buy the bread? So you just, and there was another situation, you know, I go to buy bread, the bakery's closed. I come back. I said to my father, the bakery's closed. And he says, did you not look for another bakery? So, <laughs> so it's putting you in real life situations that make you have to think and problem solve. And from the people that you interviewed, basically, there's a direct correlation between having that kind of responsibility growing up to the amount of success that they've seen in life. I think they fear fear a lot less than other people. Because it's so more normal, I don't... right? It's like it, it was something that yeah. was kind of more of a routine almost. So when they got into out into life, it wasn't something that was super scary as much as it would be to somebody who didn't have any of those responsibilities. Is that kind of what you're saying? Correct. Because there are two ways to see pretty much anything. And that is like, this is difficult or this is a challenge. I'll give you an example. You know, it's my parents' 50th anniversary in about a month from now. And I'm very pedantic about booking stuff in advance. I will book flights a whole year in advance. I'll book everything a whole year in advance. So I'd book this place one year in advance. And about six months ago, they refunded the money saying that they've closed down the place. Huh. And so six months ago, I booked another place. And just yesterday or day before yesterday, my wife said, let's find out if we have to pay them in dollars or rupees, because if it's rupees, we have to take the rupees with us. And so we emailed them and they go, Nope, there's no booking for you here. <laughs> so that's good news. So, <laughs> so he's like, I'm really sorry. I noticed you booked six months ago, but there was somebody else here and she didn't give me the booking.com password. And so I booked for somebody else. And I know they booked after you, but they've already paid the money. And it was all this bunch of excuses. Yeah. Now, this is a challenge. And what I've learned along the way, and I think this is what a lot of people who are successful learn, is that. Every road has a diversion. 
And what they do is the people that don't succeed or get upset or lose their energy, because it's a lot of energy management. So people who are successful, they look at how do we manage this situation and keep our energy at a very high level? And what happens with other people is they get angry and they get frustrated and then they blame their luck and then they blame their circumstances and their background, but they still have to go on the diversion. I mean, the road is closed. Hmm. But if I keep my energy go, okay, there is a diversion and I don't know what this diversion is, but this is an opportunity for me. Yeah, yeah. Now, it so happened that I get to stay at my cousin's place, which is just three minutes away from my parents' place. And to me, that's not the ideal situation because we had a whole villa. It was a really nice area. But as we're having this conversation with my cousin, she says, you know, the place that you picked, it's a great place. It's really quiet. But at this time of the year, every person and his dog is driving through that area. So you're going to get stuck in traffic jams because it's Christmas week. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So meeting those problems, I guess most people would see them as and finding ways to solve them and creating opportunity where there seems to not be opportunity would be a skill set then that, that you've been working on since you were a little kid with going and buying bread and doing all that kind of stuff for the family, basically. Is that kind of what, uh, what you're getting at? I would say so, but I don't think that you need to go back in time and buy bread for your family. I think... <laughs> Yeah, I think that you have to have this understanding of energy and that the people who reach the end of the day completely spent are the people who wasted a lot of their energy getting upset with stuff, a lot of the energy blaming themselves. Um, at the event that you and I were, there was a random friendly comment by somebody else about some girl and it was comparing this girl with her sister. And two weeks later, I'm still seeing this on Facebook. You just think about it, how much energy is being spent on one random comment. Right. And when you look at something that goes wrong, most people say, well, what did you learn from it? And it's the truth. It's what really happens when something goes wrong. It's a doorway for something better. It's just that right now you're like when the booking got canceled for the second time, I was like, what the hell is happening here? But I can't see through that diversion because I'm still just entering the side road and I'm still bumping around thinking what, you know, we could have got there so much more comfortably, quicker, etc. But then along the diversion, there is this woman selling some food that I've never eaten in my life before. And I'm missing out on that entire experience because probably I'm so angry that I drive right past that stall. I think the people that are successful have the ability to harness their energy in a way that people who are unsuccessful don't. So for somebody that didn't grow up, we'll use this example again, buying bread for the family, and they didn't grow up with facing challenges and overcoming fear and stuff like that, how do they start into adulthood, like you were saying, at 25 or at 35 or at 45, and really start tackling some of those fears that they have? Well, one of the things that you've got to aim for is, I mean, this is a question straight out of the blue. <laughs> I haven't thought about it. But what I focus on personally is I don't know what's going to come uh, or what's going to turn up today. Mm. But what I do know is that, and I know I'm going on and on about energy, is that the first thing is I try to load up the battery. So just like I have an iPhone 7 or 7S, 
and it's defective. And it's been, if you go on Forbes and stuff, it's a defective product because the battery, uh, it shows 50% and it's dead the next moment. It may show 20% and it's dead the next moment. It may show 1% and it may last for three hours. Yeah, yeah. But it's not dead. It, it just needs to be plugged in and it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. So I have this battery pack with me, or I used to have the battery pack with me at all times. Now, I see that humans need this battery pack as well. And what I tend to do and what I've learned in the last year or so is that meditation has made a big difference to me. In meditation, I used to go, okay, I'm going for a walk. I'm not thinking of anything. I'm meditating. No. I think just sitting still. In my case, I sleep. I rest. When I wake up in the morning at 4 o'clock until about 4.30, most days, I will meditate for half an hour. And what that does for me is when I'm stressed with a situation, I can call on that battery pack. And... So that is one form of energy. The second form of energy is to not put yourself into a situation that drains your energy. So I was listening to Susan Cain in an interview yesterday, and she wrote the book Quiet. And she talked about how people in open plan offices get very tired because they have to deal with people. And so that is draining your energy as well. You know, you're an introvert. You have to deal with people. That is draining your energy. So how do you work around that system? If you think of life as time management, then it doesn't work because at five o'clock in the evening, it's not like you don't have another five hours before you go to bed, but you have no energy. If you look at life in the form of energy, then you look at energy depletion. And if you go, okay, I can, this guy's just cut in front of me and I can honk, well, you can, you have the right and you have the horn and you have the tools at your disposal, but is it going to deplete your energy? And it sounds very like Buddha, like sitting under a tree. But after a while, you find if your energy is not going down, it stays up. Hmm. And if it stays up, you can achieve more, you can do more in less time. The other thing is just something as simple as cutting up. You look at the people that do exceedingly well. And they have certain techniques. Like you look at a chef at a restaurant. You say, oh, I have to cook dinner tonight. I can't do this. This is too difficult. A chef at a restaurant has to do 500 plates every night, 30 nights in a row. How do they do it? That's success. They don't do everything at one go. They break it up into bits. Someone goes and buys the vegetables. Someone cuts it up. There are all these phases. So if you look at it from creating a podcast, for instance, well, you don't have to do the podcast at one go. You can do it like think of a topic on Monday, outline the topic on Tuesday, and you can go the whole week. You've still spent only a couple of hours or three hours or whatever. But the point is your energy is at very high levels right through. So people who go, I didn't have the chance to buy bread. Well, stop thinking of your life in terms of time management and stuff that you have to do. Start thinking of how can I have optimum energy when I'm doing the task? So that I can achieve that task, get that skill, and now do it in half the time, which then gives me more time, which gives me more energy. Yeah, that's a fantastic, very, very practical hack to, for somebody out there looking at their next task like that and coming into a situation with a little bit of fear. That was fantastic advice, Sean. I want to kind of shift the conversation. We're running out of time here. We got really wrapped up in a really great conversation. So, But I I really want to switch a little bit and talk about networking uh, specifically because I I think you you have a fantastic inner circle of friends and people and 
And that's what the show is about is just helping people grow their inner circle and build relationships with other people. And usually the question I use to get things started in that direction is one I ask almost every, every guest that comes on the show. Sean, do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? Um, good question. I think both of them are very critical. So who you know pushes you in Jim Collins' philosophy, which is Jim Collins wrote the book, Good to Great. Mm -hmm. And he said that greatness comes from having a bus and having people on the bus, having the right people on the bus. So who comes before what? Mm -hmm. And knowing or getting to know the right person makes a huge difference. So if you're a student, getting to the right teacher means that you don't have to do this nonsense 10,000 hours. You can do, you know, so for instance, we teach a course in cartooning and within, I don't know, four or 500 hours, people go from saying, I can't draw a straight line to becoming so great at cartooning that you think that they've been drawing cartoons their whole lives. So knowing who you know is or needs to be your quest, hmm. who you know makes a big difference because they open up doors to other people just like them to begin with. You know, I think, again, there was this other thing. You can't be like an eagle if you're scratching with the turkeys. And essentially, knowing who you know makes a big difference. But once you're in that circle, what you know becomes very critical. Because now you're flying with the eagles. And the eagles are having a completely different conversation. Right, right. Yeah, that's a and, fantastic answer, which nobody's ever asked me. My, well, some people will reach out that listen to the show and ask me what my answer is to that. And that's typically what I tell them is I think that who you know is ultimately more important because if you really want to know about a topic, the best way that I've found to learn about that topic is to get around people who are experts at that topic. And the more you're around those people and rubbing shoulders with them, like you said, that level of conversation is so incredibly valuable and you learn so much from that and the what always increases with the who i definitely definitely agree with you there sean if you had to boil it down to one networking tip if somebody's listening to this show and you want to give them one tip that would help them become a better networker a less spammy networker a more valuable networker what would you say to that person ask questions ask lots of questions and just shut up <laughs> Yeah. So pretend you're a reporter and let the other person talk. You'll be amazed at how many people are smarter than you. Even, mm. you know, you can be at a networking event, you can be at a workshop, whatever, and you think, I know such a lot. You don't. <laughs> yeah, ask questions. It's amazing how much I have been, even when I first started out, that was the thing. I thought, you know, I'm an expert. And now, of course, 17 years later, I realized that I don't know anything. But there was this guy who was completely wasting my time. And he wasted my time for 30 minutes. And in the 31st minute, he said something, which I forget now, but back then was very important. And I'm not saying that you should just go around trying to find these nuggets in the middle of the Sahara. But the mm -hmm, point is, right. if you already are with somebody who is intelligent, the best way to, first of all, get to know them better and for them to feel like, wow, this person is really smart, is to ask questions and then just listen to their stuff. The other day, for instance, John, who you and I know, was talking to me not about marketing or anything, but how to tie your shoelaces. What? Yes, how to tie your shoelaces, right? So you think, what kind of conversation is this? You know, you're now you have two people who are working at a very high level of whatever, 
And what are they talking about? They're talking about shoelaces. And what's the purpose of all of this? It's not what's the purpose. It's, you know, there was another guy, Michael, who you also know, mm -hmm. and he was talking to me about equipment. And he went on and on. He made me listen to Hotel California in its entirety, even though I unplugged my the headphones twice. <laughs> but I kept asking him questions. And I think that becomes the critical thing. You don't know where that question will lead. Right, right. Well, I think that it just comes down to that practice and that skill set, if I can say that, just leads to more genuine relationship building. Because like you said, you're standing there talking with John and with Michael, and you guys could be talking about a myriad of different marketing tactics and techniques and list building and podcasting and equipment, all this kind of stuff. But instead, you're talking about tying your shoelaces. Shoe, shoelaces yeah. <laughs> but that ultimately leads to a better connection with another human being, just being normal and being genuine and actually caring about what they have to say. So, man, I love that. And Sean, we're running short on time here, so I'm going to push through, get to the next segment, which is the random round. So basically just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? I'm ready. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I already do that. I already cook. So, yeah, maybe cooking. Yeah, but not, not like a chef. Yeah. If you could sit on a park bench with somebody, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Oh, this would be hard. Yeah, maybe Leonardo. Yeah. Why? Because, yeah, he was curious. I just want to know. I mean, I know what he was up to, but I just, it would be a good conversation. How do you like to learn best? Books, blogs, podcasts, videos? I'm just grateful that people put everything and I will learn any way I possibly can without exception. I hate transcripts, but if I have to read transcripts, I will do that. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I wake up at 4 o'clock. I meditate until 4.30. Then I go and do stuff, either write articles or whatever. At 6 o'clock, I will go for a walk. That's an hour and a half. I'll have a coffee, come back, make breakfast. My real working day would start at, say, 8.30. Sean, what is your go-to pump-up song? Uh, it used to be Simply the Best by Tina Turner. <laughs> and what are you not very good at? Uh, pretty much everything. I don't know. I just made that into a positive, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't dwell too much on what I'm not good at because if I decide that I'm not good at it, it's a very short line between not being good to being good at it. <laughs> yeah. All right, as we get everything wrapped up here, Sean, what is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most? Uh, Psychotactics, my email, I answer all my email. I always have, all, probably always will. So at psychotactics.com. That's Sean at psychotactics.com. Reach out, say what's up, ask him a question. He's always very good and very responsive to all the emails that I've sent out to him. And I, I really appreciate it about you, Sean. Sean, thank you so much for coming to the show today. I had a blast talking to you. Um, hope everything is going great out there in New Zealand. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.